Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Well, here we are. It's me and me and Magic Alex right now. Um, Mark yeah. Ellen is out of the country on, on work of, of international importance. We won't go into it any further. <laughs> it's all very hush-hush. You'll read about it, you know, in many years to come in the book. Um, spatial audio, Alex. Have you, have you, do you note the Zane Lowe, who is frankly paid to say this say that says that apple spatial audio is a, is it just an unprecedented kind of giant leap forward in sound so that basically they 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 they've come up with some kind of jiggery pokery that sort of supposedly puts you in the room when the record is made almost in terms of sound and there's a, there's a playlist of stuff that they've converted to this format which you can sample and you sampled it, Alex. What did you think? I have. I've dipped my toes into, into that particular uh, inviting little bit of water. And yeah, it's it's great. I mean, well, my, my perspective on it is um, for years, to make streaming work, basically, they, they compress the sound files. They squash them down, essentially. Um, and so the, the sound quality is not as good. And I've noticed that I can only listen to Spotify, for example, for about an hour at a time before I start to get inexplainably annoyed and it's because the the sound of the records becomes really jarring because it's all kind of mushed together and Impressed, you, yeah. you do tend to notice it you know subconsciously i think um, and what they're doing now basically they're giving you music as you would listen to it on your on your stereo on your record player as it's intended to be listened to so whereas they were giving you you know a few crumbs before and, and selling it as the whole cake now they are giving you the whole cake and uh, and selling it as a new thing which it's not but saying that i think now that this technology is being implemented in streaming. Um, as soon as people get get uh, get a whiff of it, I don't think they'll they'll accept compressed files anymore. Yeah, well, I, I, I don't quite know because there's two there's two sides to it, aren't there? There's lossless audio, which means that they're giving you very big files, hmm. so there'll be a limit to how much of this you can download onto your phone, for instance, or whatever. Because they're you know that's the reason MP3s are the way they are. They're they're a tenth of the size, aren't yeah, they? Of yeah. a, 
of the actual sound file, such as you might hear on a CD or something. So here they're giving you lossless, but they also, they've done this spatial business, which kind of allegedly repositions the sound picture in front of you uh, so that it's it's more following the way that this has been done in movies, you know, so that basically when they do the sound for a movie, they can sit there with the editor and they go, now that sound of the cash register ringing has, or whatever it is, or the, the, the boot heel scraping on the floor needs to come from that tiny little bit of the frame. You know, this, this moves here, this moves there. And so they're playing with a lot more. And so you can listen to, for instance, I think Beatles, you can listen to Come Together by the Beatles from Abbey Road or um, Here Comes the Sun. Uh, and, and things do seem to be in slightly different places. You're encouraged, obviously, to listen to them on headphones and to listen to them on wired headphones because, you know, that's how you get the best kind of picture. And I thought it was kind of all right. I thought it was... I thought it was less punchy, I suppose. And and it just draws your attention to the fact that at every stage of technology, you know, the, the kind of music is presented in a way that sort of makes the most of the technology at the time. And so, you know, if you if you first heard these records in the 70s or the 80s or whatever, punch is kind of the thing that you want, you know, and you sort of miss it when it's replaced by something a bit spongier, I suppose, which is what I feel what I feel about it now. But who knows? I mean, you know, we just we just put a toe in the water, as you said. It's more and who experiential knows? though, isn't it? I mean, you know, at a time when we've been denied the opportunity to to experience live live music, for example, in a room, this you know, this isn't live music, of course, but it's listening to recorded music in a more experiential way, which maybe fills a hole that's been gaping for the past year or so. I think it's it could it could be. It's like anything. It'll be a question of how people's habits settle down, because you know when you look at all the all the innovations in um, in sound reproduction over the years, not not the carriers, just the things that relate to quality. There are very few that have kind of taken. You know, stereo took, quadraphonic didn't take. You know, and I've got a little list here that I've I've compiled. Of, of things that were um, that were supposedly going to be the future of uh, hi-fi. And this is relatively recently. There was uh, binaural, I, I, binaural, binaural, which, which refers to the idea of, a, you know, it's, too, it's, a, it's a head full of sound, isn't it really? But Lou Reed's Street Hassle uh, came out in 1978 as the first binaural pop record. Nothing happened subsequently. Uh, you know, Quadraphonic launched in 1972, and it was pretty much old, over by the end of the 70s. And huge you know, amounts of money had been invested in that. Wasn't Sup- Pete, didn't Pete, weren't the Who something to do with that? Wasn't Pete Townsend experimenting that for Lifehouse originally? Oh yeah, there were yes, and yeah, it, it was part. It, it was never. It was clearly never going to take for the simple reason that people had to kind of redesign their living rooms. Well, yeah, that's the problem with it. It, it. It's big and it was expensive. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And the Super Audio CD, which was launched by, launched by Sony in 1991. There was DVD Audio, was launched in 2000. Phase 4 Stereo, you won't remember this, launched by Decca in 1961. 
there's there's do you remember half speed mastering oh, ah oh yes i've still got a copy of bruce springsteen's born to run where the idea was that you if they remastered it running the tape at half speed or something like that right. you you get a better quality and it was it's kind of like so many of these things if somebody tells you something is better quality you tend to believe them and if somebody doesn't i rarely does anybody suddenly you know, hear some music go, do you know, it sounds so much better. What is it? What's caused it to sound so much better? It very often starts with them telling you that it, sound, it sounds better. And there's also something called Q sound, which appeared in 1990. This is Owen Parker's obby, this, on Madonna's Immaculate Collection. And the whole of um, Sting's Soul Cages was, result, was released on it. Q sound. It's supposed to be a more 3D listening thing. I don't know what happened to that. There's Holophonics, created by Hugo Zuccarelli. The final cut by Pink Floyd came out. Holophonics. Who talks about that anymore? What, what, so, does, that what does Holophonics involve? I, mean, I have absolutely no idea at all. But I'll tell you what it will involve. It will involve Morphos, and it will involve an, an investment in additional equipment. That tends to be the case. And so the, the point is that the public, the great public, doesn't really care about an awful lot of this. I mean, there could be a load of people listening to this podcast who do care about this stuff, but they are in the minority. You know, most people quite happy with the, you know, the degradation of quality with MP3 because it's convenient. And convenience tends to trump these things. And also, is it not the case, Alex, and you'll know this, your young mates. <laughs> People have got less stuff nowadays in their houses. Have they not? Yeah, people don't really tend to stockpile things like they used to. Um, because not like I know this pile of stuff I've got behind me here, you know. <laughs> what, uh, what are those? <laughs> but I'm of that generation um, who, you know, they, they it started off with a house with very little in it and then slowly kind of surrounded themselves. They like stuff. They keep souvenirs. They keep records. They keep books. They have pictures all over the wall. Everything's kind of higgledy-piggledy. They like that because it's kind of cozy and it appeals to their, their soul. Whereas I go, I go to a younger person's house, tends to have less, tends to have fewer things in it. No, we're moving into a time where... where you know, our being is is divested into a digital world. And, you know, ev we know everything is stored on there. We know we can get everything on there. And so it's almost as if, which is kind of bonkers if you think about it, it's almost as if the physical world is less necessary than it ever was, even though we live in it. You know, um, we are we are we are living in a, an entirely different kind of dimension. And so, yeah, you know, it's it's I think that there's a, how can I put this? It's it, it's the essence of being able to grab something quickly. That that's more important than the project, the product itself. It's convenience. There's more value in convenience than the than the products at the core of what we're getting. Well, I that's think. that seems to be the message. Although, I mean, to me, the interesting thing about spatial audio is that kind of selling as a headphones thing. I think because but, but huge amount of listening is done on but again, headphones. 
People now spend money on 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 headphones in a way that they they never did. But it's being sold to. I mean, Zane Lowe, he's what forty five now, so it's being sold to my generation upwards. It's not being sold to the to the you know post millennials. Um, you know this 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 experiential way of listening to records is being sold to people who still remember when records are made, and I think that's that's the key thing to remember as well. You know, this is right. not. This is not for the younger generation because the younger generation probably don't care. It's for it's for digital immigrants rather than digital natives. I want to ask you one question, Alex. Yep. You you love music. You work in music. You spend all day every day thinking about music in some way or another. Every six seconds. <laughs> okay. What music playing equipment have do you own? I have my laptop. There you go. That's, that's it. The I, Word Podcast. Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. Okay. We'll be joined by friend of the pod, Paul Burke. Hello, Paul. Where Hello, do we David. find you? Where are you? I'm in Muswell Hill, North London. Oh, yeah, not that far from me. And um, we wanted Paul could talk about all kinds of things, like the derivation of London postcodes, all sorts of extraordinary, uh, all, extraordinary stuff. Uh, how the Japanese refer to Soho nowadays, that, that's, a, that's come as an extraordinary shock to me. And if you want to know more about that, you have to read Paul's recent article in The Spectator, I suppose, which, is, which I suppose is probably available online. Yeah. Anyway, there's two things, two main areas from your vast knowledge that we want to draw on here particularly, Paul. You work in advertising and you're a music fan, and so... Mm. You you ought to be experts in the in the part that music plays in in advertising. Have you ever been directly responsible for picking a favourite tune and putting on an advert that proved to be an enormous success and changed the life of the artist concerned? God, it's I actually have. Um, it's not one of the most famous things, but you will know it. It's very enduring. I was the person who chose um, the Universal to go on British Gas. So this is Blur. Blur, the Universal. It was about 20 years ago. And uh, that bit at the beginning. British Gas chose it. I, I put it on a radio commercial. They put it on the TV. They were still running it 20 minutes, like, uh, 20, minutes 20 years later. Wow. And I can't imagine how much money I've made Damon. In fact, I, I only ever met him once. Uh, this is going to be uh, name drops keep falling on my head. But... Um, I went to um, Phil Daniels' book launch because I worked with Phil as a voiceover and Damon was there and I said, I'm the one who put the Universal on the British gas ads. I don't think he believed me or didn't want to look <laughs> grateful because, I mean, just, it must have been, I don't know. So, maybe, so, so they get paid every time it's used with a case like that? Well, they usually, they usually um, work out a deal in advance. We will pay you X amount for, um, for 12 months. Now, with, I do a lot of radio commercials just because I've got the visual sense of Blind Lemon Jefferson. So right. they always gave me the radio because I couldn't, I couldn't mess up the visuals. And the very first radio commercial I ever produced was for, um, uh, it was for The Guardian. And it was celebrating, well, commemorating, I don't think they were celebrating it, uh, Margaret Thatcher's 10 Years in Power. And I didn't realise music had to get licensed. So I used I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor. <laughs> Quite a well-known track, original version, got a CD from HMV, stuck it on and, um, and just ran it. Admittedly, it was, you know, it was only on for two days. Tomorrow in The Guardian, we said, you know, blah, 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 with I Will Survive on it. I can't imagine what would have happened if uh, some lawyers from LA had heard that and no, no clearance had been given. 
So uh, you just go, you just got away with it because it was run, away and, it, yeah. and running for a few days. Because very often people think, and just in, this is a, a thing in life, people think if you're doing that, you must have permission, and very often you haven't. Um, now, just a couple of days. The other ones I used to do, um, they used to get me into choose the music for M&S. This isn't just any food, any chocolate pudding. This is so they had. Um, they started with Santana Samba Party, and right. then oh, just the obvious thing, and they paid me to do it. Not very much. I put Albatross, Fleetwood Mac, right, and then because you'll know all these tracks, the the one they try and refresh it every now and again. I wanted to use um, the opening bars of Robert Plant's Big Log. That would work very well, and ZZ Top Asleep in the Desert. That would have worked very well, and. The other one was the James Last Orchestra. It's called The Seduction. <laughs> and it's, you'll know it when you hear it. It, it. It's a bit naff, but it will work perfectly. But in the end, um, they just went for the opening bars of... Um, they grew the Marder for a while. Then they had True. Um, I've made, I, I could tell you how much money I've made for Gary Kemp. <laughs> well, um, again... Gary Kemp, a classic case. Uh, I tried Gary Kemp on my theory. Actually, we should have talked about this when we talked to him recently. Mm. That my theory about songwriters is that no matter how many hits they've written, in the end, it's all one song that makes them the money. Well, doesn't you know? um, a Merry Christmas, everybody, make Noddy Holder as much oh. as the rest of the Slade catalogue combined? I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does. Well, a Christmas hit is the perfect thing. We've done this before. Do you know what Paul McCartney's most valuable post-Beatles copyright is? It's, would you I like to guess? We've mentioned Christmas. It's no. wonderful Christmas yeah, I wouldn't timing. have got there. I would have said yesterday. It, no. It, it's No, well, obviously that's Beatles. Yeah. But it's not Mullovkin Tire. No, it's, it's not Live and Let Die. It's wonderful Christmas time. Yeah. Because every Christmas, somebody puts it on an ad or, you know, oh, they run it on Radio 2 or or whatever. So it is basically one song. So our advertising agencies or, you know, the advertising business, is it full of uh, people like you who've got loads of records thinking, I know I can get my favourite on this ad. I mean, it, it sounds as if it's a fairly kind of uh, capricious choice as to what um, you. I think it used to be, like everything else in the world, says the grumpy old man, it seems to have been tightened and seems to be... Oh, there's various things. There's people that compose them uh, bespoke, or, or what? What you generally do, just because the budgets are lower, is is library music, right. and you have websites by people like um, Audio Network and KPM, and you just you just type in disco or jazz or heavy metal, and something will come up, and you can usually use it. And there's a flat rate, well, not a flat rate. You this much for three months, this much if it's on just radio, this much if it's just on TV, and that works out a lot cheaper. Right, um, right, but no. I People uh, had Levi's was um was, oh, yeah. was the heyday, wasn't it? You know, I, su I suppose so. So, what's the most you've ever heard of somebody being paid for for their use of their music on a commercial? Well, I think they keep that sort of thing quiet. I've no, I've honestly no idea. I think um, I think Damon Albarn would have got a lot of money just for the the fact that that British Gas said they, what they're not great ads, but you would see them all the time and not notice them on ITV or hear them on the radio. But every time that was played. Not that he got paid 25 pence every time, but because it had run uh, so yeah. widely, Wouldn't he would have got a lot of money. Don't Blur split the royal songwriting royalties four ways for, for their catalogue. I'm pretty sure that... Yeah, they probably yeah. do. They, it's all composed by Blur, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. Is it, yeah. Well, that's yeah. why bands like them and R.E.M., and well, R.E.M. stayed together for years, mm. and you two are still together, is that they, they, they pool everything. Whether they pool it equally is a different story. Well, that, that, that's, I mean, the, 
They're talking to Gary Kent, but that was... <laughs> well, that was the issue. That, with... that was the trouble. Well, what happened was, he, I got him in for a voiceover. This is, I swear this is true. This and is Gary this, Kemp. Gary Kemp. He's a very good actor. And yeah, I, he is. And I had him playing a photographer. Just like that. Okay, you know, you can just imagine yeah, him doing yeah. it yeah. somewhere. And Duran Duran had just got back together. And I said to him, why don't you get the band back together? Come that was better. Oh, okay, you're right. Go on. And he, he, he said, I'd love to. But, um, and I always remember he said, my brother would be well up for it, but Tony Hadley won't talk to us. Um, and Tony Hadley, well, not now, but he lived at the end of my road in Muswell Hill. And I'd see him and I knew it was Tony Hadley. I'd never spoken to him. And I saw him going past. I said, Tony. So he turns around. I said, my name's Paul. I, I live around the corner. He goes, oh, yeah, I've, I've seen you about. And I said, yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I had Gary, Ke- I work in advertising. I had Gary Kemp in to do a radio commercial. And his face sort of darkened. And I just said, He'd love to get the band back together. And I couldn't walk on without passing that on. And he sort of went, mm. <laughs> bloody hell. Like the next, about three, six months later, they're back together. They're selling out the O2. I know it didn't last long. And, uh, you know, I think Tony Hadley moved away from my humble uh, neighbourhood with all the money. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> absolutely true. I don't know him. I don't, I don't know Gary. I've, I, 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 went, um, I went cycling one Friday morning, Gary Kemp and Robert Elms and a couple of others go cycling around Regent's Park. And I just turned up in this sort of T-shirt and shorts. Oh, no, they had all the gear on. the. Oh, they would. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know Gary, but I've met him a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big yeah. fan. I'm a big fan. You know. No, well, we had him on. We had him he was on. Good. He, was really uh, good. he is fantastic. Mm. He was absolutely brilliant. He was ridiculous. So now, apart from advertising is the way you put bread on the table. Yeah. Uh, but but your your real love is is DJing. Is that fair to say? My real love used to be DJing. I think I think when I was a um, a kid. Uh, let me reach down here. Oh, I can just about find it. I got this: the Ed Stewpot Stewart Book of Pop. Oh, what yeah, that is, that would be enough to turn a young man's head. It. W- I mean, there he is with his headphones on. I thought I'll have some of that. And I grew up wanting to, be, not grew up wanting to, but. Uh, it was a bit like thinking, um, I want to play for Spurs, I want to play for Arsenal. Uh, well, my team's QPR, so <laughs> I probably well, could have played could have done. QPR, yeah, yeah, go on. Um, even though I can't really kick a football. But um, I wanted to be Roger Scott. I mean, for younger listeners. Lovely guy. For you, for you, Alex, Roger Scott <laughs> was, um, was my, was my favourite DJ. And if you grew yeah. up in London in the 70s or 80s, the moment you came home from school, Roger Scott in the afternoon. And he did two fantastic things. One, he used to... Um, well, the weird thing about... Not weird thing. He just played records, didn't he? Yeah. He was yeah. a bit like your... Um, he had no, Roger had no gimmick whatsoever. Nothing. He wasn't even trying to be worthy. No. Nope. He, was, he was just... He loved music and he, he was really good at talking just, about it. He just played records. And Friday night, he used to do a thing called Cruising, where he just played a lot of 50s um, rock and roll, which, I mean, let me tell you... <laughs> In, in the 70s, in the late 70s, there were far more Teds than punks. Far more. And um, the, the whole rockabilly culture. And he, he'd play all those records and, and I would write them down. Not all of them, I'd write them down and try and get them in second-hand record shops. It was really hard to do. And the other thing he did was he had a thing called the Capital Hit Line. And it was such a simple idea. All you did was phone in with your favourite new release and they compiled it really, and number one this week. And honestly, I don't think we would ever have heard of Kate Bush, um, of Gary Newman, of um, sort of more minor ones, but still huge hits. Uh, the Buggles video, Kill the Radio Star, yeah. Pop Music, M. They actually say, I'm on the hit line. I mean, sort of self-referential. But it was just a brilliant radio show. 
Yeah. And so I wanted to be Roger Scott. Right. And I never really got there. But had I even managed to get onto Capital Radio, by which time, no offence to Pat Sharp, and <laughs> it was all a bit, you know, Capital 95.8, yeah. and very tightly controlled, and, and, and all the records chosen in advance, and I wouldn't have wanted to do it anyway. Yeah. So, But I did used to work in clubs. Um, where it started, this bloke, actually, I thought about it. I thought, what if David asked me what was the first gig I ever did? And the first gig I ever did was for a bloke called Mickey McCormack, who was in my class, or was in the year below me at school, and I did his party. And I think he became something huge in the music business, like the head of A&R for Universal or something. But I, um, I did it, and I, I liked the fact that people would dance, because I used to get bored at parties, weirdly, and I can't explain why. Um, I don't drink alcohol. All <laughs> oh, right. Not to. I've tasted everything. I don't really like that. Don't hate it. But if you said there's no water in the tap, um, we've only got beer. Fine, I'll drink it. So I didn't really get drunk. And I'd find myself at parties when I'm about 15, going through the record collection and sticking it on. And then um, I bought a flat, which I couldn't really afford. Oh, God, it was only 20 grand. But the... The man who gave me the mortgage, there was a character in Viz called Playtime Fontaine, and he was he was a bank manager, but he was always mucking about. And this bank manager was my girlfriend's dad, who was a really lovely man, um, gave me a mortgage I shouldn't have had. And he goes, you won't let me down, head office, they'll kill me. if it, You've got to keep up the repayments. So I'm thinking, I can just about afford it if I don't buy things like food and clothing. So I got a couple of decks um, and went out and started, started using them. And... I think the, 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 the DJ, most of the DJs at the time were either really serious, you know, really into it and, you know, all the latest 12-inch imports and things like that and deep cuts from New York and all that stuff. Or there was the fat twat with the Hawaiian shirt. I could do, do, do. And what most people wanted was something in the middle. All right. That's and that's what I used to do. I was half, half serious DJ, half fat twat in Hawaiian right. shirt. Right. And, um, yeah, I, I, I used to love it. And then I, I did a, a gig where it was a guy who went off to be a commercials director called John O'Driscoll. And he said, look, we've got this, you, you, you DJ, yeah, yeah. Um, they've got all the gear in this club, they just need the records. Well, that was just so much easier because you can imagine how heavy those speakers. I mean, Alex, you, you've been in bands, haven't you? So you absolutely know. Um, or, or, and they'll always, people always help you in the door with your stuff. They'll never help you on the way out because they're all drunk. And everyone <laughs> thinks the deep, that it's great fun. And admittedly, the, um, the playing of the records is good fun, but that's only a fraction of it. And oh, so many things used to put me off. It was, um, oh, will you do my wedding or, or my 21st? Oh, God. It's all right. You'll know everyone. You think, oh, that's made about 100 times worse because otherwise I might have been a guest. But then I started working in clubs because th this, um, this party that I did for John O'Driscoll went extremely well. It was the 80s. It was advertising. <laughs> Anyone could have got up there. So it made me look better than I was. And they gave me a residency. Then I, they, there's, there was like a little, not community, but people would phone you up, you know, like, like a plumber. And if someone couldn't make it. So I did a couple of nights at, for instance, Stringfellows. Uh, where Peter DJ'd at Stringfellows. I DJ'd at Stringfellows. Only for a couple of Who was the clientele at Stringfellows in the exactly average? Exactly as you might expect. I remember Ben Elton. <laughs> <laughs> ben, they, the bloke on the door had never uh, heard of him. 
and, and wouldn't let him in. I think somebody intervened and said, oh, yes, he's quite famous. He was high TV's fame as well. Um, it was, it was um, exactly as you would expect. It was sort of wide boys with um, yes. big shoulders suits and... But 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 it it was it was almost innocent, you know. There was lot probably you know it was a lot of drink and probably a lot of cocaine there, but it, there was something slightly charming about it, slightly old fashioned. Uh- hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Uh, And Peter Stringfellow was as naff as you like, but really nice. He said, oh, hello, you know. Uh, it, I, I said, I'm on tonight and tomorrow. He said, how'd you get here? I said, I drove. Oh, we can't have that. We'll send a car for you and a car to go home. And anything you want, just speak to one of the girls. You want to drink, you want something to eat. And he was just really nice. I can't really? say he wasn't. You know? Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. So yeah. what did you, what, based on your experience as a club DJ, what, what were your kind of, uh, you know, break glass in case of emergency records? You know, what were the things where if everything's going wrong, these are the things you reach for because they'll get you out of a hole. It, I mean, oh, God, it all depends. Club DJing was quite easy because uh, the people had come to dance. Right. Whereas um, weddings, yeah, they might have a dance, but the, 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 that's not why they were there. And uh, your most frequent request, could you turn it down a bit, please? We can't, we can't hear ourselves speak. The, you, again, it, like so much else in life, like everything else in life, it was all about timing. You can't just come in and start hitting them with it. You, even in a club, you've got to build it up slowly. If they, were, um, if they weren't the most sophisticated of crowds, like a wedding, for some reason, the Four Seasons, December 63, would just, would just lift them up uh, out of their seats and allow them to shuffle. Uh, the other one was, um, I mean, these are really obvious ones, uh, Lionel Richie all night long, because it starts quite slowly. It doesn't bang in. And then once you've got them, you can... You, you, so starting quite slowly, this is interesting, because I would have thought you've got to hit them straight away, but you no. don't. No. You've got to... Oh. T- you've got, basically, what you're saying, Paul, is you have to trick them into dancing. 
Yeah, yeah. You, you have to encourage them. I hate to be sleazy, but I suppose it's a bit like foreplay. You just can't go, <laughs> or, or we put it, we'll put it another way. Maybe a roundabout. Um, if there's a roundabout spinning, younger listeners, roundabouts in parks used to be, uh, you, you wouldn't spin it straight away. You'd get on it first. and go slowly. This, I've never heard this before. This is interesting wisdom. No, exactly true. And, and too many people will come in and play all their good stuff first. And people don't want it. They're not quite ready. Oh, I'd never thought of this because I've always been the I've always been on the view of um, well, it's Abba's Dancing Queen, or it's you know, yeah, that's another it, one. And that works, is it? Because I would have yeah. thought that's too instant. I would have thought Dancing Queen has people going, yes, now's the um, moment. Again, it, I think it it has it probably has now a bit more, but it didn't the, then. The, yeah, uh, Mamma Mia, it was it was always okay. Oh, do you want to hear a good story about Dancing Queen? Go on. Oh, you, you've teed me up into my best one. Go on. So, um, I was, as I tell this story, I don't, I can't believe it's true, but it is. The Hammersmith Palais in the late 80s uh, was rebranded into Le Palais. Le Palais, it was called. <laughs> and what, however naff that was, and it was a bit naff, I think they were trying to build a great big string fellows, to be honest. It was sort of carpet and chrome and, you know, mirrors everywhere. And I'd done a radio commercial to launch Le Palais. And it was, it was quite a simple idea. It was um, builders going, saw it, and gradually turned it into a track. Le Palais opens, blah, blah, blah. And the, the, the client from Le Palais said, you're a DJ, aren't you? And I said, yeah. And they said, she said, would you like to do the opening night? And I went, wow. Because, again, I had fairly basic kit. And nightclub kits were better, but Le Palais were boasting about their install. It was like you drive a Ford Escort and someone said, would you like to borrow my Ferrari? So, yes, please. Um, and, and she actually mentioned, yeah, Charles and Di are coming. So what do you mean Charles and Di are coming? Yeah, they're going to the Prince's Trust concert at Wembley and they're going to just call in on the way back. Oh, well, definitely then. So um, Charles and Di come down and they've, you know, everyone, and then... Princess Diana, this sounds such a lie, um, with her mind, she just wants to have a look at the decks. And yeah, just, just, just looks. And, and, I, and I just said, would you like to have a go? And she said, yes. And I said, what's your favourite record? And I think, because my, my um, records, I'll show them, they're, they're all in alphabetical order. So the first one was ABBA. You could see it at, at the front. She said ABBA. So I took out Dancing Queen. And I put it on the deck and I had my own deck here. And I said, look, right there, wind it back. Can you hear it start? Yeah, yeah. Just wind it back. That's at six o'clock. Wind it back to about three o'clock. Okay, is that? Okay. And when I do that, press that button. And I did that. She pressed that. Way. And then about oh. a minute later, you know, they were only calling in. And I had to Google uh, Charles and Di Le Palais and Google Images. And I found one picture of it to think, Yes, I wasn't lying. <laughs> it did really. That did, did happen, happen, didn't it? But fantastic. I think that's taken. Obviously, it's got taken on much greater. That wouldn't be such a huge story if she was still alive and all the mystery surrounding her death. I think. No, no. But no. yeah, that that did happen. It, it was like I got I got one more like that. I was working at the Beetroot in Soho, and apparently the night before, when I, I came down, I should have been here last night. Mike Tyson was here. He was in. Um, he was in town for the. Uh, oh, what's his name? Tim uh, Witherspoon Bruno fight. Oh, I miss it. Oh no. Well, he had a thing for one of the cocktail waitresses about. So he comes down again. 
And I said to him, can I, well, I was on my break. And I said, when I go back home, can I play a record for you? And he goes, yeah, yeah, um, status quo. I thought, what? Sta Mike Tyson's? And then just as I was sort of thinking about rooting around, shall I have Caroline or rocking all over the world? I knew what he meant. There's a Donald Banks rap track called, it goes, come here, come whoa, status quo. And that's what he meant. Oh, really? you could have been playing pictures of Matchstick Man. <laughs> I'd have been Matchstick Man. If I'm, and and the, I mean, the weird thing, he was only about 21 when I think about it, when he became, well, he, he was like, I mean, it's obvious, he was like a freak. And I remember doing that to him. And his, it was like a bag of cement. It was almost yes. inhuman. That I bet. Was that solid. I bet. I thought you were going to tell me that he'd approached the DJ booth and demanded to hear, you know, Pink Floyd's <laughs> money or whatever in the middle of a set at the Beatroot. But, but it, you must you must have had to deal with, uh, you know, demanding drunks oh, when so you're in the DJ booth. So sometimes, um, and the other, the worst thing about it is uh, if there's a drunk in any other walk of life, you can get away from them. You go, excuse me. <laughs> you're stuck. You, oh, you're stuck. It's usually, I know I'm not going to do any favours uh, with with this audience, but it was always nerds asking for Elvis Costello or the... Yes, yes. Um, which have their place. But, but, they don't but sound not good. They don't there. Discos. Not you know. there. It's like, well, when we talked about it, we talk about this frequently. Uh, you know, that a lot of your favourite records just simply don't work at a disco. No. The, the classic example is the Beatles. I mean, oh, the Beatles, they're death on a dance floor, aren't they? The only one I'd ever get away with was Twist and Shout once people were drunk. Yes. I'd just do like a 60s wallop, you know, I, I, and then put go, that I'll go into Lulu's shout and make people, I just make people do terrible things, lie on their backs and kick their legs in the air. Oh, <laughs> right. Nothing nothing too corny for you no. at all. <laughs> the, um, no, I don't, I'm all in favour no. of this. And, and people, people will do it if they like you. And, and, and again, you've built them up slowly. They will do it. Um, the, the thing about the Beatles, because uh, what people don't realise about mobile disco rigs, it's always better to have, you'll like this, uh, they should be mono. Yes. Because A, they create the wall of sand, you can't tell the difference. And quite often, you know, just if you're discoing, discoing, um, DJing quite loud and quite hard, you might blow a channel out. And as you know, a Beatles record is all instrumental out of one side, all vocal out the other. It is a, a terrible stereo. Uh, yeah. yeah. So if, if you blow one out, you're only going to get one. Whereas yes. if you blow one out and it's mono, um, yeah, it'll be a bit diminished, but it'll be the same sound. So always mono. Um, this is this is all this is all extremely good advice. This is start slowly. It's always mono. And, and uh, the other thing is, um, in, when you're in your car, for instance, or even in your house, your speakers aren't that far away. In a club, I used to have, no, not in a club, uh, a mobile one. I had really, really long leads, you know, to fill the hall. So I'd have, you know, the speakers would be quite far apart. So even if your stuff was working perfectly, your stereo um, rig was working perfectly, you'd be in that corner. You'd only hear Lennon and McCartney's vocals. And if yes. you're in that corner, you'd only, yeah. hear, you'd only hear that. And another, another thing, talking to leads, is I always had one red one and one black one. Because the black, they get tangled up and you couldn't tell one from the other. So if you have one red and one black, they're quite easy to get apart and, and plug in. Right, right. So do you still do this? No, no, I gave up years and years ago. Um, I, I started to think, I mean, when I did it, it, it wasn't even to try and be cool and work with Mike Tyson and Peter Stringfellow. It was I needed that money um, to pay my rent. 
And as I got, um, you know, I never got that rich and successful, but, you know, I got to a point where I didn't need to do that anymore. I, I'd gone to other jobs. But I still kept going because I liked it and, it and it was fun. But once I had a baby, I remember coming in from a gig about two and he woke up about, oh, that's it. But the real reason, and I know you'll both understand this, is um, I was doing a wedding and perfectly nice people, please don't get me wrong, but very much of that type, that Surrey, Epsom or Esha or somewhere, rugby club, you know, rugby clubs, I mean. (laughs) You just want to say to a lot of them, it's fine, you're gay, nobody minds. You know, if you've got your... It it was one of those. And and the groom or the the best man or someone came over to me, really nice. He goes, I think the lads are ready for a bit of Bruce Springsteen. And I thought, I never want to do this again. (laughs) Just no. Um, and I played Bruce Springsteen for the lads and I, you know, and the lads did their dance to dance in the dark. And I, you know, I finished it and, it, it, you know, I did the, the wedding things I always did. Always, I'd always line them up down the, um, uh, men down one side, women down the other, make an arch, then play the Seekers Carnival is over while they all said goodbye. And, and as, as the Seekers and Judith Durham's like soared up into this hall, I thought, this is your swan song. You are not doing this anymore. And and, and I didn't, you know. So the carnival is over, is it? Is it, is it a recognised way of, of ending an evening's disco, is it? I never well, knew no, this. It's no, usually, it it's usually um, New York, New York, yeah, isn't it? I mean, Frank Sinatra. I'm not just saying, because I loved old records and I've got thousands of them. Uh, and I was quite good at picking ones that other people didn't have. All right. I mean, shout, and I never said this, I used to play Shout by Lulu and people didn't know, but they sort of did. And gradually I'd go to clubs and I'd hear more and more, I'm claiming credit for absolutely, I'm saying like Pete Waterman who claims credit for absolutely all music genres. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, I heard it more and more. They got re-released and it was a hit. And the other one was Tequila by The Champs. Uh, yes. There used to be a guy called James Hamilton. He used yes. to work at Record Mirror. Big, he did. Very big posh bloke. And he would, the best record shop in London at the time for soul music was, was out by Rainer's Lane Tube. It's called the Record and Disco Centre. And you'd see James Hamilton in there with his stopwatch doing the beats per minute. And mm-hmm. he said, you know what you should play, don't you? Like Tequila, The Chance, which I had on uh, That Will Be The Day soundtrack. And so I, I, I was good with that sort of thing. With Or the other one I would end with, if it wasn't a wedding, so there was, I mean, there's very, the last waltz, um, Ella Fitzgerald every time we say goodbye, but the one that gave them no doubt that the DJ was going home and that there will be no music more um, was um, Sound of Music. So long, farewell. And yeah, they were drunk and, and goodbye. And then I go, thank you very much, good night. And that was it. Very good. Well, on that, that's, that's a perfect point at which to end because oh. I've learned so much there about uh, you know how to how to get people onto the dance floor, and there I've learned how to end it, which yeah, is and always end it slow as well. You don't want them oh, like that, really up for it, and then it suddenly it's, it's like you've taken away their fun. You have to end it. Yes. Slowly. Yes, you have to end it. It's got it's got a lot in common with other human activities. The details of which we won't go into on this occasion. Well, I mean, I I, I should just mention that I really miss um, not miss because it's not relevant to me anymore, but I cannot stress the importance of the slow dance at the end of the disco. You would ask a girl to dance if she liked you, she'd say yes. You'd have a bit of a chat. You'd find out whether you found each other attractive. You might walk her to the bus stop, or you might ask her out. You might get married. You might have children. There are thousands of people walking around this country right now who owe their very existence 
uh, to the slow dance at the end of the disco. I mean, it was it was a time honoured mating ritual that I don't think goes on anymore, and it's always clockwise. You see, that's head. that's the thing that strikes me. Surely it doesn't go on anymore it because doesn't. I always said that you know up until quite recently, up until clubbing, people still met their life partner most likely in the same way that Jane Austen's characters met their life partner, <laughs> which is, it was a. It was the recognised form of, you know, yeah. that you start to buy dancing, which is really, it's a really curious thing in itself. Your first encounter with somebody will be a physical expression yeah, we of attraction. Yeah. You know what I mean? Before you've even talked, really. Just, just, yeah, but it do, worked for years, you know. Do one in your head. It's always clockwise. Just imagine, you, you know, the slow dance that you've had many times. It's always clockwise. You can't go the other way. You sort of shuffle around slightly clockwise. The other way doesn't work. Uh, but yeah. it, it's it's all it's all very deep stuff, and mm. uh, we shall all think about it. Paul, yeah. it's been lovely to talk to lovely you. Lovely to see you as ever. Keep this going. It, it's it's such a companion to me in the car. <laughs> this is a junction in the word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. Any other business? If you haven't already got your tickets for uh, July the 17th, word in your park, please do so, because they're going fast. Uh, and this, uh, no matter what happens with uh, restrictions over other entertainments in theatres or festivals or whatever, this will not be affected with Alex, because this whole thing, the uh, the Opera Holland Park set up in Holland Park, their special custom-designed auditorium has been designed with social distancing in mind. And Indeed, so, it has. we are twenty twenty-one proof. Uh, right. Okay. So uh, we've been delighted this week. We've announced that Barney Hoskins has been added to the bill. So we've got Gary Crowley, Leslie, and Jones, mm-hmm. Barney Hoskins, and there will be a further announcement within the next few days. So uh, don't forget to get your tickets. Where should people go to get their tickets, Alex? People can go. Actually, I'm going to put a link in the show notes so they'll be right. directly uh, here. Also, you can go to wiyelondon.com and there is a handy ticket widget on the front page of the Word New Era website. Nothing like a widget. And uh, <laughs> I got questions from the massive, actually. I, I uh, canvassed uh, the massive last night. And uh, somebody, John H, says he's pondering the history of popular music and he thinks it's all about symbols. That's C-Y-M-B-A-L-S, not... Not ticks and question marks. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, is it all about symbols? I don't know about that. I'll tell you what's interesting, um, and we're talking about what's going on. No, what we talk about is the, I think the thing that the tune that they're using to, uh, to uh, encourage people to try uh, Apple Spatial Audio is What's Going On by Marvin Gaye. Which, of course, that record, that album, is all about the symbol, is, is all about the triangle on that record. Yeah. It has a triangle playing playing pretty much all the way through the record. Why have I never noticed that? Well, go back and you, you'll hear it. It's one of the most significant sounds in, uh, in what's going on is the sound of a triangle. Wow. Motown records were always really big on bits of uh, percussion like that. Uh, uh, well, you can't underestimate the power of a tambourine. Absolutely. Uh, Motown Actually, in the 60s, a tambourine was huge. Go that on, was one Gary. of the things that I really loved about the early, uh, sorry to talk about them again, the early Oasis records. The choruses would always have an eighth note tambourine going on, and it right. just gave that extra shuffle. There's, there's a lot to be said for a bit of tambo. 
Jezza says, what's the last physical record you bought uh, that was a new release? And so, Alex, you clearly, as you said, God. As you said earlier, you haven't got anything, have you, really? I, I, yeah, I haven't bought a new record for a long, long time. I mean, well, I, I've got one, actually. This, this is the most recent record I bought. It's Bob Dylan's Rough and Rowdy Ways. Just It's a CD. And... Um, I suppose that came out just over a year ago, didn't it? And uh, I only bought it relatively recently. And uh, it, I, it, it, it's quite, it reminds me why I rarely buy new records. Um, whether they're made by new artists or long established artists, it's because, and I can't remember if I said this at a recent podcast, but if, forgive me if I have, but uh, um, because I think it still holds, holds good. Is that is that when records are new, the things said about them are generally misleading because they're always overestimated. Critics overestimate them, the artists overestimate them, the people who've bought them overestimate them. You know, they always say, Oh, you've got to hear this. It's absolutely extraordinary. And very often when you catch up with it, you think it was kind of right. You know, is it really Never more extraordinary than the other stuff? And this record. Which, which was, uh, you know, people were weeping with, uh, with gratitude when this record came out. I have to say, I don't think it's all that kind of okay. I think he's made better records in the last in the last twenty years than Rough and Rowdy Ways. But anyway, you know, each to their own. So that's the one I bought. Sid Griffin wants to know when is Magic Alex going to record and release the groundbreaking solo album he so obviously has within him? Oh, bless him. Sid, I'll give you that fiver later. Um, I'm actually sitting on a, a, a full LP um, in, my, in my archives, but, you know, um, I've got to a point in my life where, obviously, you know, I, much of my professional music career is based around playing other people's music. Um, what's the point of releasing your own? <laughs> That's the that's the kind of adventurous spirit that built Britain, that is. What's the point? <laughs> Well, I'm sure you will at some point. Andrew Gardner wants to know, what's the possibility of Mark and you recording an episode? He's talking about me and Mark, but it applies equally to you, Alex. Recording an episode in which you don't mention the Beatles. Um, it's not going to happen. Pretty much zero. Although I'm sure if you went back, you'd probably find, you know, the, the, there must have been some episodes where we no, did no, no, you won't. But that's fine. It's completely fine. <laughs> but, I mean... <laughs> But you know, it's it's like you know, it's it's a sort of it's a it's a look a, a word, a, a word it's something everybody understands, isn't it? You know, it, it's like having a conversation without vowels. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> and Nadia wants to know: Should we be paying attention to Van Morrison right now? I think Have the you... less attention directed at him, the better. <laughs> All he wants is attention. Don't give him that. Don't give him what he wants. He'll carry on. He'll do it more. We we are referring, of course, to the the strange outburst in in Belfast, wasn't it? When he was supposed yeah. to be doing some gigs at the Europa Hotel, which they used to proudly claim was the most bombed hotel in the world. I stayed there not long ago, actually. Um, and he was supposed to be doing a series of gigs there, and then COVID restrictions. I don't know. He couldn't he couldn't go ahead with them, and so he's. 
He said, I don't know if he's a, at a gig or a dinner or whatever. And he's it looked like this... a conference. It wasn't it a, like like a, conference. a lectern or something like that. Yeah. That's what it was. And then there he is making what is supposed to be his, his statement. And he just clearly can't think of anything to say, can he really? So he just he launches into this rant about the Northern Ireland Health Minister, I think, um, which is just surely he must have thought better of. Here's my question about Van Morrison. When he goes home after having done that and looks at it, does he think, I did a good thing there? Or th- does he think, oh, I went too far? I think he gets even more grumpy with himself because he knows he's he knows he's made a bit of a show of himself, but he can't quite reconcile that within himself. So he gets even more grumpy and the cycle of grumpy just continues until... until so, the next so Nadia, I don't think we should be paying more attention to Van Morrison right now. Uh, uh, Silver Surfer has a theory that when we were young, going to a gig was 80% about the atmosphere, mates, beers, girls, etc., and 20% about the band or artists. When you get older, it's 80% about the band and 20% about the atmosphere. Do we agree? I, do you know, I think it's a really good point, Silver Surfer, SS, but I don't think it changes. I think, I think you... you the atmosphere, you may be, okay, when you're 18 years old, the girl you've gone with and how that goes, obviously, figures massively. When you get older, where you've parked your car, <laughs> what time you've told the babysitter you're going to be back, whether you're fed up of standing up on, you know, standing for four hours, whether you want to go to the lavatory, that figures massively. You know, so... The stuff around the music is always hugely important. But but also, I mean, uh, well, when you're when you're eighteen, you part of the reason you go to a gig is is to be around exciting people of a certain subculture. I mean, you know, you, you're still your your eyes are still full of full of adventure and possibility. When you get a bit older, you don't go there for adventure and possibility. You go there to enjoy the band. So I'd say the band is a bit more important as an entity. You know, uh, but the atmosphere you are equally aware of, but in a slightly different way. Right. It's something, it's something you appreciate rather than grab out to. Yeah. I, 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 I just love to, I'd love to do a survey of, you know, 100,000 people at a, I don't know, a Rolling Stones gig or whatever. And, 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 and calculate how many of the people at any given moment are thinking largely about where they parked their car. Or whether they they should go for that pee. (laughs) Timing the pee. (laughs) Timing the pee, great record. (laughs) This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.